Well, over the last number of years, I've had the privilege of going to a lot of weddings. I've been to some of your weddings as I look out here. Uh, I've been a guest. I've been an officiant. I've been a groomsman. In one memorable wedding, I was the groom. <clears throat> and it's my experience after going to a lot of weddings that something usually goes wrong. It doesn't matter how much you've prepared. It doesn't matter that you had a rehearsal the night before. Maybe because expectations are so high, something usually goes wrong at a wedding. The flower girl gets sick. The photographer gets a flat tire, shows up embarrassingly late. Uncle Eddie, oh, Uncle Eddie gets up at your reception and tells the most inappropriate story and everyone just holds their breath, praying that he will stop soon. I heard a recent story of a wedding in which it was that special moment, a couple is exchanging vows, you could hear a pin drop, and someone's cell phone goes off, and it rings, and it rings, and it rings, and it rings, and the pastor gets a bit annoyed, and he launches into a little mini lecture in that moment about how he told everyone before to turn the cell phone off, how this is interrupting a holy moment. Turns out it was the pastor's cell phone. <laughs> Something usually goes wrong at a wedding. At our own wedding, Brandy and my wedding, almost 26 years ago, my best man came to me about 20 minutes before and said I lost one of the rings. I wish it was a joke, but he showed me his... Uh, pants pocket, pulled it out and saw that there was a hole in it and one of the rings just had slipped through. And fortunately, as guests were arriving, somebody noticed a sparkly thing on the ground right at the foyer, the entrance of the church. Sure enough, it was Brandy's wedding ring, so crisis was averted. Something always seems to go wrong and at a wedding, because the expectations are so high, emotions are running high, it becomes a crisis. And this morning, we're going to look at a story about a crisis that happens at a wedding and how Jesus responds. And it occurs to me that this story is for anyone who's in a crisis, anyone who is facing a situation that emotions are running high, it's a relational crisis or a marriage crisis or a midlife crisis or a faith crisis. And you're facing a situation that you can't fix, you can't solve. You've tried, and you feel that this is beyond your control. What do you do when you're in that kind of a crisis? Where is Jesus in the midst of the crisis? Well, our story is going to share with us the answers to those questions. We're going to explore that together. Our text is found in John chapter 2. This is God's word. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind 
used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the, broom, the, the bridegroom aside, almost called him a broom, the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is God's word. Well, we're starting a new series today, and it's entitled Encounters with Jesus. And this is going to be uh, a multi-week series that's going to actually lead us to Easter, that wonderful weekend that changes everything, that changed the world. And we're going to look at these face-to-face -face encounters with Jesus. Many times, people who were in crisis encountered Jesus. How did they respond? How did Jesus reveal, who did Jesus reveal himself to be? And what we're going to learn is that an encounter can turn, an encounter with Jesus can turn a crisis into a moment of transformation. Now, what was the crisis in this story? It was that the wine ran out. Now, I know that you're thinking, that's embarrassing, that's a little awkward, that doesn't really constitute a major crisis, does it? But what you need to know is that this was more than an embarrassing catering problem, that, why, that weddings in the first century were, were huge, a huge deal. First of all, a wedding symbolized, in many ways, depicted the relationship that God desired with his people. It wasn't just king and subjects or master and servants. It was, it, was, it was bride and groom, this intimate connection that God desired with his people. But secondly, a wedding was the greatest party of the year. It was a, an event that lasted for seven days. Now, I've been to some of your weddings, and I've thought, man, this is long. But they didn't last seven days. This is an incredibly long wedding, and it was the responsibility of the couple, the groom, to provide food and drink, in this case, probably for 100 guests for seven days. It took them a year of planning and preparation. But as we mentioned before, something always goes wrong, and in this case, the wine ran out. This is a problem because the wine was central to this event. Wine has a beautiful meaning in the scriptures of one of joy and festive joy and celebration. The Bible does not forbid the drinking of wine. It, it warns and forbids drunkenness, but wine is typically a very joyful image in the scriptures. Psalm 104, wine gladdens the heart. And so this is a major faux pas because when the wine runs out, the party's over. Now imagine that you shift the paradigm a little bit. You're a DJ, 
and there's a big event that you've been hired for. And after three songs, you stand up and say, sorry, folks, the music is over. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't download enough songs onto my computer, and we've run out of music. The, the, the party's over. You're a caterer for a huge event, and you declare that there's only food for 10 people. Sorry, the food has run out. This is a huge problem, and in a shame and honor culture, there's gonna be stories that linger. How, how does this guy think he's gonna provide for his new wife when he can't even provide for the wedding party? This is, this is not a good look. This constitutes a crisis, an emotional, a social, a relational, a reputational crisis. And here's the thing, is the wine store in Cana is not open for you to just quickly run down and get some more. So here's the situation. There's a major problem, a crisis, and there's no solution. It seems to me that this story reminds us that from time to time in our lives, the wine runs out. The joy runs out. The romance runs out. The meaning of your career runs out. The friendship runs out. The hope runs out. Some of you today are experiencing a crisis and you don't know what to do. It is a financial crisis. Maybe it is a marriage crisis or a health crisis that has come out of left field. Maybe it is a conversation that you had with a parent or with a child that has really rattled you and you don't know what to do about this. Maybe it's a faith crisis. You thought you believed in certain things for so long and something has happened and now you just say, I, I don't know what I believe anymore. This story invites us to enter it and to ask ourselves, what is the crisis? Where has the wine run out? Where do I feel empty in my own life? Where might I declare in that same way that the wine has run out and I don't know what to do? It seems to me that we are used to living in a way that we can control so many things. And so when we bump up against a problem an issue that we can't control, it, it unnerves us, it rattles us. We're not used to being out of control. How do we respond in this crisis? I want to mention just three things that pop out from this text, and we're going to go through them briefly, about where Jesus is and how we might respond. And the first comes from the very simple response of Mary. When the wine was gone, Mary said, they have no more wine. Here's the first thing that we can, in, are invited to respond in a crisis. First is we are invited, very simply, to name our need. Name our need. In trust, we believe that, that Jesus is present in our crisis, that he loves us, and that he cares about our crisis no crisis is too big and no crisis is too small. That we hold it before Jesus and we ask for help. I think three of the hardest words to say for all of us are the words, I need help. 
In fact, let's do that, a little audience participation. Let's say those words together on the count of three, I need help. Ready? One, two, three, I need help. Okay, now I want you to turn to somebody that's beside you and say this, you need help. <laughs> that's a lot easier, isn't it? You need help is a lot easier. I need help is actually a difficult thing to say. The beautiful 12-step program, which is inspired by the Gospels, by Christian spirituality, the first step was we admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. There is a beauty and a freedom of admitting your need before God. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I picked up this little book this week. I'd read it before, but was reminded of it. It's a beautiful book by Anne, Anne Lamott called Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. She argues that the three most instinctual and natural prayers that we can pray are help, thanks, and wow. She says this, there's freedom in hitting bottom, in seeing that you won't be able to save or rescue your daughter, her spouse, his parents, or your career. There's relief in admitting you've reached the place of great unknowing. This is where restoration can begin. She talked about how she found herself praying a prayer like this very often. Hi, God. I'm just a mess. It's all hopeless. What else is new? I would be sick of me if I were you, but miraculously, you are not. I know I have no control over other people's lives, and I hate this. Yet I believe that if I accept this and surrender, you will meet me wherever I am. Wow, can this be true? If so, how is this afternoon, say, two-ish? Thank you in advance for your company and blessings. You have never once let me down. Amen. When Mary declares to Jesus, they have no more wine, she's not fixing the problem. She's not saying, this is my plan. Sometimes it's enough to just name our need and that we don't know what to do and that we are looking to God in this moment. You know, this week I <clears throat> got a chance, uh, my wife and I got a chance to FaceTime our daughter, Alicia, who's 20 years old and she's living in, she's temporarily in Amsterdam. She's doing an exchange program there for the next four or five months. And I was reflecting on how, what a great experience and her, how much she's grown up and her independence. And I was thinking, a I had a flashback moment to a time when she was in grade one and she did not like her teacher. It was early days of that school year, and from about 8 o'clock in the morning, Alicia would declare, I'm not going to school today. And I tried everything. I tried listening and reflecting feelings. I tried talking to the teacher. I tried warnings. I tried threats. I tried bribes. You know, the, the, the old parenting tool book, you just try every different thing. And she would not go to school. And when we get to school, there was a huge drama, and I was just completely at wit's end. And one day, after somehow figuring out a way, just 
for her to, to, to stay in that classroom, I, it just so happened that I had a, a meeting with a spiritual director after that, and I was totally frazzled. And he looked at me and said, you know, what, what's happening? And he said, Jade, we all have a place of poverty in our lives, a place of powerlessness, a place that you can't solve, you can't fix, you can't figure it out. And it's, that's the place that Christ wants to meet you. What if your crisis is precisely the place that God wants to meet you? And I realized that we spend most of our time trying to avoid crisis. We want relief from crisis. And yet, in some beautiful way, it's precisely the place that God wants to meet us. What's the crisis in your life, the place of powerlessness that God might want to meet you and bring transformation this morning? Second, what we get from this text is that we are also invited to participate in the process. Mary says, after listening to Jesus' apparent hesitation, she says, do whatever he tells you to do. And then Jesus says, fill the jars with water. Now, I've always been struck that in the Gospels, that we actually, when Jesus does something miraculous, he often invites people to participate in some way, to participate in the transformation, to participate in the miracle. It's not like you just sit down on the couch and wait, and I will do something powerful, and you're just passive in this process. No, they were invited in some ways to express their faith to participate. And in this story is no different. The servants are to fill jars with water. Now this is six jars, 20 to 30 gallons. This is not a quick task. These are heavy. The servants are to find a well and probably go back and forth to fill up these water pots. This is sweaty work, tiresome, methodical, slow, ordinary work and it is totally unglamorous. And I wonder, friends, as we're thinking about a crisis and our desire to see Jesus transform that, I wonder what, what this phrase, fill the jars, might mean for us. If you're in a difficult family situation, a difficult marriage that is crumbling, where you'd say there's, there's no more wine here, Filling the jars might be for you to find a counselor and to book four or five or six sessions with that counselor and to face into this in good faith and try to address this. Maybe if filling the jars, if you are struggling with an addiction, means to go to an AA or an NA meeting, to join a small group, to get together with others and to confess your sins and to pray for each other. Maybe if you're feeling particularly spiritual, spiritually dry, then filling the jars might be to commit yourself with others to getting into God's word on a regular basis and committing yourself to it. What might be filling the jars for you? You know, there's two types of Christians. There is one who 
lies in bed and says, God, don't make me late for the bus today. And there's other who prays as they're running down the street to the bus, God, help me to catch that bus today. There's people who lie in bed and say, God, provide for me a job. And there's people who got, say, as they're printing out resumes and sending emails, God, would you provide a job for me? We are invited to fill the jars in anticipation of how God might use that and transform us. You know, there's a woman in our 10th community that I heard of this week. One of my colleagues told me about her. Her name is Katie. It's not her real name. But she came and, and was very honest about a deep struggle in her life, a crisis, a difficult marriage and family relationships. And she admitted that she, every night she finds herself using alcohol, not in celebration, but to medicate herself, to numb some of the pain, the constant pain that she feels. But she desired to turn to Christ in a new way. And so each morning she has been practicing turning to Christ in scripture and in prayer. She shows up faithfully to counseling to process this and work through this. She is invested in soul friends, spiritual friends, who are together, are trusting and believing for God's transformation. And little by little, wine is coming. Uh, little by little, transformation is coming. She can't change the situation, but she is being transformed in the process. What, what would it look like for you to do whatever Jesus tells you to do and to begin filling the jars with water? We're reminded that this process is not overnight. You ever prayed for a miracle, for some transformation, and thought, God, you know, when I order something on Amazon, it's here the next day. It's overnight. I'm, I'm Amazon Prime member, God. I, I, I kind of would like the solution quickly. And we know that part of the process of transformation is is slow and unglamorous and committing ourselves to the process. Well, third and finally, the thing that we learn from this story, I believe, is that we are to watch for the work of God. We, we name our need, we participate, but then we watch to see what Christ will do. Watch to see what's gonna happen in the midst of our crisis. As you know, this story, the master calls the bridegroom and after the pots have been filled and some is drawn out to the master of the banquet he tastes it and he says wow everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine later after people have drank quite a bit and they're not as discerning but you have saved the best till last and herein lies the miracle is that Jesus has transformed that water into wine. Jesus has transformed a crisis, a crisis of shame, and he has transformed it into a celebration of joy. Before Jesus did that, that couple would have been known and seen on the streets, and there would have been whispers and stories told. It would have been a shameful reminder of how they failed. And yet, now when, a, when that couple 
is met on the streets, people are going to say, that was the greatest party I've ever been to. Here's a little window into, John says, this is a sign. Jesus has come to bring joy and life. He's come to transform our shame into joy and to give us a deep and meaningful and purposeful joy. Jesus, throughout the book of John, says this, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus has come not just to add years to your life, but to add life to your years. You know, in Greek, there's two words for life. One is the word bios, which means biology, existence. Life means that we're, we're breathing, we're alive, our heart is beating. That's a good thing. It's a gift. But the other word for life is the word zoe, which means a life rich with meaning and purpose and passion. Jesus said, I've come to bring you zoe life, not just mere existence, but a life full of purpose and peace and shalom. This is why I've come. Leanna is a woman who shared her testimony at one of our baptism services. And she experienced, in the midst of crisis, God's Zoe life. She said, I grew up on the downtown east side, and I'm fully aware of the statistics of what some might say, that, that I don't, wouldn't have a very bright future based on my family circumstances and where I grew up. But Leanna was an overcomer. She went to UBC, became a pharmacist. She said, I... I was checking boxes considered important by society. I, I got married, I became a mother, we bought a home together, but I was never able to break free from a relentless depression that followed me everywhere. But she said, after I, I met Christ, in the midst of this crisis, I no longer felt like a prisoner trapped in despair. I'd been given the freedom to be me, the true me, I no longer look at life as something to be endured, but something to cherish like a precious gift. That, that God meets us in our crisis and can transform that into something beautiful and joyful and rich and meaningful and purposeful. Precisely in the crisis, God can meet us. In just a moment, we're going to come to this table and we're going to be reminded of the extent to which Jesus brings us joy, the extent to which Jesus went to, to meet us in our crisis. As we partake of communion, we're reminded that Jesus had his own crisis, that Jesus entered the, the greatest, the ultimate crisis at the cross I told you before that wine is a symbol of joy, but there's another symbol that wine represents in the scripture, and that is blood and suffering and death. That's why when Jesus was in the garden, he was wrestling with the, the wine that he was to drink. He called it the cup of suffering. That Jesus endured that crisis so that we might experience life and transformation. This is why in the story, Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. He was referring to his death in that crisis 
that he was going to endure for us. Let me conclude with this story that I came across about Dwight L. Moody, famous preacher who lived in Chicago. By all accounts, Dwight Moody was a successful and respected pastor. In 1871, a fire ravaged the city of Chicago, burnt down the church. Many of the people who attended the church were part of the church lost their homes. And Dwight Moody went into a time of great weakness and despair and despondency. His wine had run out. He didn't know where to turn. Where was God in the midst of this horrible crisis? And one day he describes that he was walking in the city of New York and he writes this, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. I had such an experience of God's love that I had to ask him to stop. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. What, what Moody was saying was, it was a good thing that I went through that crisis. That crisis was a gift. I never would have asked for it, but when I walked through that crisis, I met Christ in a whole new way, and he has brought transformation. What might be that place for you today that you would earnestly pray, God, I, I'm in the middle of this. I can't control this. And I, I desire a taste of that new wine that you're going to bring. I desire for you to come in and do something miraculous that only you can do, to bring transformation to this situation. I, I long for it. I ask you for it today. What, what might be that place in your life today? Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning we were thirsty for a sip of that new wine. The wine of, of joy and of life and of transformation. I pray that you would help us to identify those crisis places in our life. And God, I pray that just as you did in this wedding, that you would meet us right in that place. Help us to know that you are there with us in the midst of that crisis, we pray in Christ's name, amen.